This is Life Invented. Invent the life you want to lead. Invent the life you want to lead. Be compassionate. Be creative. The possibilities are limitless. Go Broncos. Welcome to the Life Invented podcast presented by Santa Clara University. From campus life to what it means to learn in the Silicon Valley, this is Life Invented. Today, one of the most significant challenges on Earth are how to change the trajectory of what the scientific community around the world has told us is happening to our climate and the dangerous effects we, along with our children, will experience in our lifetimes. What does the future hold for our planet? Michelle Marvier, professor of environmental science, and Chonsa Smith, environmental science major, join us here on Life Invented as we discuss the fate of our planet, humankind, and what students at Santa Clara University are doing about it. All right, Chonsa, thanks again for joining us. And now, please dish your deets. My name is Chansa Schmidt. I am 21 from Honolulu, Hawaii. I am a junior, class of 2018, studying environmental science at Santa Clara University with a minor in public health and sustainability. I've been lucky enough to travel a bit with Santa Clara and a lot with the environmental science program. So I've really kind of got this passion and itch to travel and see new places, try new things, as well as I am very passionate about the U.S. food system and how it affects the areas around it, how it affects people, the inequality that comes from food that people don't always think about or realize. All right, Professor, same request of you. Please dish your deets. My name is Michelle Marvier, and I'm a professor here in Environmental Studies and Sciences, and I'm also an alum. I'm a graduate of the biology department in the class of 1990. I am passionate about mushrooms. I love mushrooms. I, I go mushroom hunting in the winter around here in um, the spring. And yes, I eat them, but I, I know what I'm doing. So don't try that at home. <laughs> nice. So um, our oceans are deeply polluted. Our wildlife, uh, much of it is at danger of uh, going extinct in many cases. How will students of environmental studies as well as environmental science save the world? I've been trying to counter that doom and gloom narrative for a long time. I, I actually think that there's a lot of hope for the future. Um, there's a lot of great things that are happening. And it's going to be a different world for sure. I mean, the human impact on the planet is undeniable. We're changing things. But it's not going to be apocalyptic, you know, they're, they're, unless... I mean, it could, but <laughs> let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, in terms of environmental change, you know, it's caused by people, but people are also the solution. And I think we need to make sure we give people hope. And, and motivation and tools to go change things. And, and I think there's a lot of hope for the future. Mm -hmm. What about from the student perspective? I have a lot of friends who are recent graduates that immediately went out and just started working for conservation research or companies, as well as environmental education is really important um, in teaching children about not just about nature, but allowing them to go out into nature is great for their development and really gives them a respect and passion for nature from an early, early beginning. So it's kind of nice to see some of my friends go out and get some of those environmental jobs. Awesome. And Michelle, so you developed a course 
called Conservation Science. It's a class I've developed. It's a, it's a textbook I co-wrote with uh, Peter Kariva, who was the chief scientist of the Nature Conservancy. And as we looked around at the world, we said, you know, it's not just biology. We actually know a lot of biology. That's not the limiting factor for saving these species. Right. The limiting factor is getting people to change their behavior. Right. People are the problem here, but they're also the solution. So we got to figure out how to get people motivated and, you know, psychology, communications, anthropology, economics, and, and really how do you factor in that human dimension to make conservation work? So is this really kind of a, a new or cutting edge approach uh, and view to how to make conservation work? It is. It's, it's the only textbook of its kind, and it's been adopted in universities all around the country and, and beyond. And what's different about your approach? Can, can you give us an example? Well, uh, you know, you mentioned one of the approaches is in restoration ecology. People have been looking backward and saying, oh, we need to figure out what species were here before, you know, Christopher Columbus and, right. and then try and recreate that ecosystem as it used to be. And, you know, the truth is the climate has changed now and it's not going back. So trying to restore a ecosystem that was here a couple hundred years ago isn't going to work in many places. So we do need to open our minds and embrace some things that make people very uncomfortable, like maybe even non-native species that can provide some of those ecosystem services or they can provide habitat for some of our endangered species. Why not? Which, which them? typically is, is kind of a big no no. It's a right? big taboo, don't, yeah. Don't introduce something that was not there to begin with. Right. So um, that's a pretty controversial thing in conservation to say maybe we should actually look for technology solutions, you know, like genetically modified crops to try and solve some of these environmental problems. Chonsa, we're here in the middle of Silicon Valley, one of the great innovation engines around the world. How is the technology sector responding to environmental issues and working on solutions? Our engineering department here at Santa Clara, one of their main focuses is sustainability. You know, engineers from Santa Clara aren't just going to build a dam. They're going to look at what is this dam going to do to the river species, to the ecosystem around it? What's going to happen? That's one of the great parts of Santa Clara, but that's also very popular to find in the Silicon Valley. Apple just built a whole brand new campus, and it's supposed to be one of the greenest campuses slash buildings ever made. They built it with the intent of being environmentally friendly. Professor, do you ever observe clashes of approach, you know, between capitalism and conservation here on campus as well as within the private industry? Yeah, I, you know, there's definitely differences of opinion. Um, there's other priorities people have, and, and certainly making money is a priority for a lot of our students, too. They want to start companies or work at companies that are profitable, and I think what we need to do is make sure that it's not a conflict between those two, you know, it can't be environment versus jobs. It can't be environment versus a growing economy. Right. We got to figure out ways that you can get both. A lot of people think, oh, you know, th there's an inherent conflict there. It's one or the other. But I think in the Valley, we're proving that's not true, that, that there's a lot of ways forward that are actually going to make our lives more decadent and, and, and you know, nice and, and pleasant lives. And they're also going to be better for the environment. It doesn't have to be a trade-off there. The Bronco community is buzzing about the future STEM or, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math center being built here on this campus. What can we expect with this big new investment? Sustainability will be on display in the building. I know there's going to, there's plans for displays to show how much energy the building's using at various times and lots of, you know, information about the building's performance so that students can actually learn from the building. It'll be like a living lab. 
we've heard that the building itself has a goal to bring different students studying different topics together in one place and to break down silos and encourage interaction. Like, why, why is this important? Yeah, yeah. I, I know when I was a student here um, in the late 1980s, in the dark ages, <laughs> I was a biology major and I knew engineers, but I never once saw their spaces where they worked. I never saw their projects. I didn't even really know what they did or what design thinking was. You know, it was really very siloed. And even as a professor here, you know, until just recently, I had very little contact with engineers, even though we're working for the same kinds of goals. So I think it's really great that the STEM initiative, it's not just about a building, it's about breaking down those silos and making sure that, you know, if you're a civil engineer working on water resources, you should be talking to environmental scientists who are interested in water resources, you know, bringing people together around those key issues. What are some of the discussions that are going on um, about kind of what seems to be an offense to conservation and protection of the environment. Yeah, there's some disturbing stuff going on right now. You know, the thing is that corporations and and nonprofits and and people realize we still need those environmental protections. So if the government isn't going to do it, there's going to have to be other people who step up in different ways. And I think we're going to see a shift from government taking care of a lot of that work to nonprofits and, you know, individuals organizing and making sure that information about corporations, um, carbon emissions get published on the web. You know, that it's really easy for us to access that and compare and see that. So we got to daylight a lot of that information and, and get it out there for people because it looks like, you know, at least for the short term, the government may be a little bit hamstrung. As a student, it's, it's pretty scary, um, especially because we're going to be graduating or I will be graduating with this administration that doesn't support the environment. And I'm worried about the job force. I'm worried about what are my employment opportunities. Um, they're making huge budget cuts to the EPA. And the EPA is one of the places that I would love to work in the future. This is where it becomes so, so important that people are being more politically active. They are going out and raising awareness. They are donating and raising funds. They are calling their representatives and saying, this matters to me. Don't let this happen. As well as, again, it's going to fall a lot on the consumer. It's going to fall a lot on businesses to take the initiative to say, if the government's not going to do it, well, I'm going to do it in my own life um, because it is important to me. And the government doesn't have to speak for me. You know, I still hope to work for the National Park Service one day. Chelsea, I know that for you, your, your road was not a straight line, A to B, mm -hmm. um, and that you actually did not start off your freshman year as this major, right? Mm -mm. So I actually started off as a bioengineer. One of the best parts about Santa Clara is that you have plenty of time, a lot of room in your schedule to really try out um, different majors, minors, classes. And I took a few courses in a bunch of different departments my first quarter sophomore year. And one of my favorite professors that I've ever had ever, he completely changed my life and my way of thought, was an environmental thought professor. So it was the way he taught. He, first of all, would never just stand there. I don't think he could stand it. He was so excited to be there. He would just walk around the classroom and your head always had to be on a swivel. Um, I never, you know, was too tired for class. I never wanted to miss class because this was 
so exciting, you know, just to be there. And we would do different readings of different perspectives of why is the environment important? What counts as nature? We talked a little bit about conservation. And then we would come into class and instead of just discussing the reading further, he would rip the reading apart. And he would say, you know, he would go into who is the author? You know, what are the biases in this writing? You know, why was this published? Um, we looked at an article from The Economist and we looked at, you know, what is the motivation that The Economist has of publishing this article? And so it really taught me how to think critically and how to have that doubt and curiosity to really dive further, um, to do more with my education. And I found as I keep taking more and more environmental science classes that the professors are just that passionate. They just love what they're researching. They love what they're teaching and they are so, so excited to share that. Chonsa, having the opportunity to study in a brand new, innovative building will be a cool feature for Broncos in the future. But what kind of studying takes place outside of the classroom today in the natural environment you're hoping to protect? So we have a club on campus called Into the Wild, and every weekend they have backpacking trips, ski trips, whitewater rafting trips, or maybe just like a simple day hike. But they have tons of different options for students to go out and explore not just California, but really all over the West Coast. And they have um, spring break trips as well. They are going to Utah again. They are going to Hawaii um, this spring break, which is really exciting. They are giving students that opportunity to learn about nature, to explore it, just as we were talking before about, you know, how important that is. Being out there makes you realize that what is going on in the political system is maybe not all that important. You know, there are things that are going to be here so much longer than people ever will be. And even, you know, people talk about all this gloom and doom and we're going to ruin the environment and da-da-da-da-da. The environment is resilient and it comes back and it revives itself. And even if, you know, the worst case scenario, we just destroy everything, use up all the resources, humans can't live anymore, the earth will still be here. And it'll take a long time, but it'll rejuvenate itself. Trees will come back. New species will evolve. So really, it's just our fate we need to be worried about. Yeah. Not, not, not so <laughs> nature will take care of itself, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, how do you stay inspired after 20 years of focus on this topic? So last year on spring break, we took a class of about 16 students and we headed on down to an uninhabited island <laughs> off the coast of Baja. And we kayaked around it, stopping and camping on beaches. And what was so great about that experience was seeing the students without cell phones, without any electronic leashes at all, none of us. And what we had was our little journals to write poetry in and share at night, and we did. Um, <laughs> and the conversations were so rich, and, and the students were so excited about every little thing. I mean, it's like, it's almost like you have five-year-olds around you again. You know, they're running up to, <laughs> to you saying, what do you think this bone might come from? You know, and they're just so excited. What do you think about this shell? There's a hole in it. What do you think might have caused that? And just that joy that is ignited when people get away from the office, the books, the, the cell phones, and really reconnect with each other and with nature. That's so beautiful. And it really does, uh, as you mentioned where we started, also comes back to people, right? And how, mm. how people are influenced by nature and, and what that means to our own um, interconnectedness once we realize how important and vital nature is for us. 
Yeah, it brings out our better selves. <laughs> well, ladies, thank you very much for your insights, your advice, and uh, for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. We'd like to end this episode of Life Invented with a quote from the intrepid adventure and environmentalist John Muir, who said, There is a love of wild nature in everybody, an ancient mother love showing itself whether recognized or no, and however covered by cares and duties. Here's looking forward to seeing the next wave of environmental scientists make their mark and hopefully positively change the future of our planet. You've just listened to the Life Invented podcast presented by Santa Clara University. And there's so much more to explore. Visit us at scu.edu slash podcasts and learn more about Santa Clara's commitment to innovation and inspiring opportunities.